Welcome. It is episode 107 of the Saints FC podcast. And before I introduce my guests, I've just realised that that intro now is only players of yesteryear. There are no real, I mean, officially current players in that yet. I mean, Josh Sims is out on loan. Shane Long is out on loan. Obviously, Letitia doesn't even get soccer Saturday these days. Um and then obviously we're going back to, to 1976 for the rest. But there we go. They're all players of yesteryear now, that intro. Um, gosh, there's there's some pondering. Uh, opposite me on my screen, I can see the marvellous Tom Parker, who's uh, wearing a lovely beard at the moment. His hair's looking a little bit more fluffy than normal. And uh, back on the podcast again, we're delighted to have him, or I would have been delighted to have him had we not lost 9-0 to the team that he supported in the run-up to this episode. Uh, I've got Carl Anker. Carl, welcome back. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we did this sort of before we started recording, didn't we? And I think other than football, I'm okay. <laughs> football is not okay right now, though. It's just this is a lot of football. It's just it's it. There's so the good thing is there's so much football you can't really dwell on the single bad result for too long. No, you just have to dwell on like a cluster of five of them together. Yeah, the feature was, one goal for your team. Yeah, hey, it was a good goal. That's oh yeah no sorry yeah more than one yeah the ter- it's terrible goals for us yeah <laughs> everything's going wrong for Saints. Everything's oh. going wrong for you already, Tom, as well. It um, is, yeah. I'm totally, I've had a block out of Saturday. That's how yeah. traumatic it was. Um, <laughs> I mean, this this is one of those episodes where I just sort of, I was sort of hoping to put off recording this episode for long enough that we could just wait until we had a win and then we could record and there could be some sort of some level of optimism. Um, but that hasn't happened, which means that the last time we recorded Tom, since then we've lost to Villa. Or, well, we could say Southampton nil, Mike Dean and Lee Mason won. Uh, we've lost to Man United. Um, again, Mike Dean and Lee Mason having a, a bit of a, a role to play in that one as well. Although the loss is the loss. We'll get, get to the scoreline. And we've lost to Newcastle as well. A down to nine men Newcastle. Um, I don't want to spend too long talking about the Aston Villa because it's sort of in the annals of history now. Uh but, I mean, Carl, I don't know if you watched this game. Probably not, but seeing as uh, I, I don't know if you have that same level of interest. But um, I try I try and watch a, a Southampton game where possible. So I've got a... I'm trying to have a, a three-game curb on the weekend fixtures. So uh, you can just spend the entire day from 12 until 10 o'clock now watching games on a, on a Saturday especially. And then if you added the European games as well from Germany and Spain and whatnot, you can end up watching seven, maybe 10 games in a weekend. And I did that once uh, during these COVID times. I went, no, nope, too much. That yeah. was 
far too indulgent. So now I try to make sure I only watch three uh, in a weekend live, at okay. least you know when I'm sat down from ninety to ninety for the ninety minutes. Um, so one of them tend, often tends to be the Manchester United game because it, it's my job, uh, and then match two very often now tends to be a Southampton game because I'm curious as to see how Ralph's plucky Saints get on. Uh, and and the third game tends to be my sort of potluck, whoever takes my fancy. So I did watch a little bit of this game also because I am also very uh, interested in what Aston Villa are doing right now. And yeah, that game was odd. Uh, well boxed. Two, get, two of the most improved sides from season to season, in my opinion. And uh, while I don't like to talk about referees too much, and I, you know, from last season, Ralph Hassel doesn't like to spend too much time talking about referees, even though he's, you know, you can see him when he's being asked, he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, move on. Um, that was a annoying defeat, shall we say. If you can call Leicester Villa one annoying, the Manchester United one farcical, and then the Newcastle one frustrating. Does that work out for you? Yeah, I think so. There we go. All wrapped up. Five minutes. Carl's done it. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> well, I, I think it's a it's a good point, isn't it? Because they three games to lose in completely different ways, which is maybe I'm not maybe as as despondent as some of the Saints fans. I don't know. I'd love to know if Saints fans are just more despondent or more hysterical than other football fans. I imagine that all football fans are a bit like this, but. The fact it's three completely different games, almost, um, almost gives me reason for hope. Is that is that a weird way to look at it? No, that's fine. That's fine. I did dip my toe back into writing about Southampton last week after the the second nine nil result on the Athletic. You, you know and what? I think we can mention both nine. Like, there's there's no point in us trying to skirt around this issue. Let's face it. This is this episode is of the Saints of Sea podcast is gonna. <laughs> Go for the jugular. We're gonna we're gonna reach out and grasp both those nine nils. I think in this episode. Okay, so we can say it ended nine nil yeah. as well. We don't have to do that in that certain scoreline. We're, we're going to say it was a nine nil. Yeah, right. Good. Um, and I wrote about a piece about that nine nil. I said it is a really interesting thing in that, you know, there's been eleven nine nils in the hundred and thirty three history year history of the English top flight, and eleven of them in 133 years two of them have happened in 466 days and those two have both happened to Ralph Hassan or Southampton uh, I tried working out the probability of someone watching those two games and my calculator broke and I simply decided I simply bought a lottery ticket because I went well if the odds are this weird I may as well have a punt in the lottery yeah it's it's a really weird spell for Southampton right now but I think what's really interesting is I don't think Ralph Hasenhall's really suffered much denting to his reputation, at least among Southampton fans. Southampton fans are very much, from what I'm seeing, are using the I stand with Ralph hashtag. There is zero to maybe 2% chance that Ralph is removed from his job. There seems to be a 0% chance that Ralph Hasenhall is going to walk. So, yeah, uh, a result that should mean a lot and would normally mean a lot that probably isn't going to mean lickety split by the end of the season isn't that weird I, th- I think it will mean something but in the context that you've just presented it it's not going to mean an immediate job loss or an immediate amount of pressure I think it's more going to be the games around 
that result because you can take that as a bit of a freak and I think anyone who watched it could see that the game was a bit of a freak game um yeah where everything's sort of that could go wrong did go wrong in very calamitous fashion um I mean, if if we just sort of relive it a little bit, I, I think probably the first <laughs> thing that we got wrong was oh, was oh, the ref. When, when, uh, don't worry, I'm not going to go through all nine goals. God, we don't we don't have long enough for that. No. Um, Having sat there for both, yeah, li- live and direct in the flesh, I will tell you there. W- so the Leicester game, when it got to three nil, I remember telling my boss. Southampton are capitulating here. Something bad is about to happen. And I remember fans leaving St. Mary's at 3-0. And it just kept happening and kept happening. And it looked as if every single time Leicester were going to, going forward, they scored goals. And it was 5-0 at halftime. And it was that sort of, they're beat. They're getting brutalized. Whereas Manchester United, it was 4-0 at halftime. And I said, well, it, I said, it doesn't feel like the 9-0, but it doesn't not feel like the 9-0. And there were, you know, a couple of fans from other football clubs having a pop going, Carl, it's like the nine 0 again. I was like, no, it isn't. Shut up. Shut up. Because I don't, I don't need to, I don't want to be the person that watches two nine nils in back to back seasons, frankly. Uh, and I think it was only around six that I went, Oh no, it's happening again. Uh, and I, I very much went from describing how the goals were happening up until the fifth goal. to when I got to six, I went, yeah, it's six. Yeah. It's seven. Yeah. It's eight. Yeah, it's nine. Uh, in that sort of despondent thing, and it's that very odd feeling where there there are a lot of very happy Manchester United fans last week. There are a lot of very happy Manchester United fans wanting me to record another issue of my Manchester United podcast, and I was just sort of sat there like, yeah, yeah, I guess it was cool. It was a record-breaking win. I guess I guess I can explain the tactics. Just going, oh, Ralph, why has it happened again? <laughs> I mean, what it's, I, it's I, weird though, we're not we're not bad. This is the weird thing for your point about it being so improbable to lose nine nil. It was farcical, right? So Leicester City was Leicester City was Leicester had a plan, and they went, "We're going to do this over and over and over again, and we're going to beat you up until you cry," right? Uh, and Manchester United was sort of like, "Oh, oh, there's a weird opportunity here. Let's just have a go and see what's possible." And some some players there were really really on it. Scott McTominay went, keep going, lads, at four 0 Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, on the 81st minute went, keep going. And there's the bit when Daniel James scores to make it nine, where Scott McTominay tells Daniel James to get the ball because he wants to get ten. So some players were really really like, oh yeah, let's score as many goals as possible. Whereas there are others who were like, I mean, I want to play football, but I'm not. I'm not like, I don't. I don't need to do this. So you saw some very strange things. You know, the fact that Fred played left back, the fact that Oli very much sensed the opportunity. I went, oh, this is a really good chance to get Martial a goal to get his confidence back. And then he got a goal and a very strange penalty. Uh, you know, as Ben Rack said, it's not the foul. Uh, is that my, that's, that's my Ben Rack impression. Um, and yeah, so it was, it was farcical. The first, the first half was, oh, this is a very, very weak Southampton team with a lot of injuries and a lot of suspensions and a lot of problems being beaten up. And the second half was just basically a training ground routine that, unfortunately, you conceded five goals. Mm. Uh, and yeah, it, it was... 
I, I always use the word weird or peculiar or unusual, but it, it did not feel in the same way that Leicester victory, the Leicester defeat felt. The Leicester defeat felt as if Leicester deliberately went out to hurt you. And the Manchester United one just simply felt as if someone was, was going, oh, someone's, someone's not left their back door locked. Let's just nick everything. <laughs> I guess you are like Leicester being at home, Leicester being in the pouring rain. Yep. You know, Leicester being in front of a crowd. All of these things. I mean, football is weird, isn't it, at the moment without crowds and things that are happening because of the lack of crowds, good for good or for worse. And I think that's probably what marks the Leicester game out, isn't it? Standing there, end of October, hands on hips, pouring rain. Yes. At 9-0 with, you know, 30,000 people in the ground sort of not knowing what they're watching. Whereas, you're right, almost the Man United game by the end had sort of the feeling of like a pre-season friendly, you know, like where like a Southampton go and play some third division Austrian team and spank them like 9-0. It felt like that. It was just very strange. I think we could really do with spanking a team 9-0. I think it would <laughs> exercise yeah. a lot of ghosts. I mean, there's if, if we touch on some of the things which I think were different between this 9-0 and the last 9-0, in Ralph's words, mm-hmm. and apologies, listener, because we're going to have a swear, but we're directly qu- quoting from Ralph here, but he said the difference between this 9-0 and the last 9-0 was that during the last 9-0 we were shit, which I think is probably fair. And it's a funny thing because I think at that time of the season... People still had belief, like Ralph had turned things around after Mark Hughes. Things were obviously better. We expected things to get a lot better after the summer. And then it just wasn't clicking that first half of the season with the exception of beating Portsmouth 4-0, which was very enjoyable. It wasn't really clicking. And we were a bit rubbish. And yeah, you're right. Leicester had figured us out. Bertrand got sent off and it was scary and horrible and they totally beat us up doing the same thing over and over again. I think they created 25 chances in that game against us. Mm-hmm. which was horrendous. So there's there's that difference. The Man United game, obviously we went there with a much depleted squad, although I think you can perhaps ask some questions about Ralph on the starting lineup, maybe just one position, maybe the Gineppo being on for Jankovic in, in, instead from the starting lineup, you know, making him start in that, I don't know. But, you know, Jankovic has also put in a transfer request a week before. There's been loads of talk about him. Barcelona are watching him. Apparently he's got the highest ceiling in terms of skill sets at the club. So obviously Ralph didn't expect him to go and stamp on him or, you know, do a vertical, horizontal, flying karate kick on the Tomine <laughs> within 70-odd seconds. Nobody was expecting that. And then I think the other thing which was different as well is, like, Leicester just totally destroyed us doing the same thing over and over again it never looked like Southampton were going to score whereas I think in this game we did get a legitimate goal which I felt was ruled out and I think maybe we can ask a question on how is VAR doing the right thing but we might not have time for that in this episode and then I think at 6-0 I think that would have sort of been a fair place to end Mm -hmm. the match and then I think the Bednarak Marshall penalty which has obviously been overturned just, I mean, it made those last five, six minutes a, a farce again, didn't it? We were already broken. And then it was like, you know, if, you, if we use your analogy of Man United, I realised the back door was open and nicked everything. I think at 6-0, Mike Dean just stood there holding the door so that they could get some of the bigger bits <laughs> out that they perhaps couldn't when there was just, you know, one of them working at it. Do you I know what I mean? Like, they're uniquely horrible. Man United with 
players like that, that aren't even their good players, like Dan James, that are still basically Olympic sprinters. And they're able to bring, you know, they're, they're like they're almost like uniquely placed, aren't they, as a team with Martial, Rashford, Greenwood, um, you know, that have players that are Dan James that can really hurt you when you're down. And Saints just were more than down. They were, they were out, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there's like, so we've, we've got lots of excuses and I've just run through some of them because I'm trying to defend my club whilst they're lying battered and bruised on the floor. But there's also some things that we don't have excuses for. We had a lot of players on the pitch that are senior, should have done better, should have stood up and taken responsibility. You know, Alex McCarthy should have done better. Ryan Bertrand was on, on the pitch for the game. So was Danny Ng, so was Che Adams. Uh, James Will Prowse is our captain. And all of those guys wilted away, you know, like Stuart. little flowers in the, in the heat. Yeah, Stuart Armstrong. It, I mean, there were enough senior players on the pitch, who have some of whom have experienced the whole thing before, who should have stood up and been counted. And even if that is, you know, put Danny Ings back in defence. We know he can tackle. We know he can head. You know, that something should have happened to prevent it being 9-0. I mean, I, I love Ralph and I will defend Ralph. You know, he's the best manager we've had in, in Donkey's years and he, we ain't going to get a better manager. But there was there was something quite strange about, uh, you know, like his faith in Jankowicz is quite, you know, incredible, isn't it? To chuck him in for that game, um, having handed in a transfer request, allegedly, um, having, you know, barely come off the bench, didn't even start the FA Cup game against Shrewsbury. Um, and then, you know, Stuart Armstrong, you would have thought that maybe the better move was to play Stuart Armstrong in the centre and, you know, play Redmond or Gineppo on the wing instead of Armstrong to just to bring in a bit more experience. And we just kind of, I mean, I'm not, I've not really seen it before. Like, they just totally fell to pieces, didn't they, with the Jankovic's? sending off they just lost their collective mind but you, I mean I, you don't know with Ralph whether Ralph is either I mean, there's, there's a number of things like either Ralph genuinely thinks Jankowicz was the best central midfield option or the only central midfield option he had available for the game or option B he's sending a message to Jankowicz saying okay well, if you think you're really that good come on then or option C he's sending a message to the board saying you need to invest more because otherwise you're going to have to throw kids in and this is what happens when you throw kids in it might be a combination of all those things, but it was a weird team selection. I think, I think this, you, you get moments like this with managers that use the word philosophy, right? So uh, I am not a fan of the word philosophy in football. I don't think there's a philosophy behind playing four four two or or playing your third choice right back at left back. Uh, and I always prefer to break up into three strands of tactics and strategy. But when a manager uses the word philosophy, that tends to mean, they prefer to refine plan A rather than develop a plan B. And when Ralph said there was shit, sorry for the swear, after the first 9-0, one of the things that was around the turnaround was they were playing that 3-5-2 shape that he didn't really believe in and they swapped to a 4-2-2-2 shape. And that he moved James Ward-Prowse in the middle, Jack Stevens came in, Dan Ings did certain things, and there was, there was a sort of death or glory approach to Southampton after the first night. No, it was Ralph going, okay, well, you didn't do it your way. So now you're going to have to do it my way. And now we're going to play Ralph ball. Uh, and that was going on. And then, you know, after that run, 
in the December January period where Southampton got really really good and eventually the project restart thing he he perfected or got close to bringing his version of Hassan Hall to Southampton and you've seen the improvements on that again so one thing that's really surprised me every time I watch Southampton now is how basically they're ahead of schedule I didn't really see I, I didn't see Ori Romeo being this good I didn't see Vestergaard being this good I certainly didn't see uh, Southampton go from a team that use Shane Long to hold up the ball to a team that no longer needs Shane Long to hold up the ball. Uh, and that's really, really impressive. And I think there is so much credit in the bank and there's such a good head of steam on this Southampton team that Ralph conceivably like, yeah, I don't need to place your Armstrong in the middle because I can, I can teach these youngsters what to do now. I spent all of the first lockdown, come up with this playbook. I've got the whole under 23 team doing this B team thing. And now everyone in theory, on the under 23 level, understands exactly what I need them to do in their position. So I can see why Ralph Hasenhut would go, yeah, I don't need to play Armstrong in central midfield. Jankovic knows what he needs to do in central midfield. I'm the sort of manager that I'm going to... The reason Jankovic is at Southampton is because he's been told when these opportunities come, I'm going to play him there. So I can see why that happens. And it was a really, really unfortunate something off. Uh, and... I my heart goes out to him for not only the signing off but the terrible racist abuse he can get afterwards as well. And I think that bit's fine. The worrying concern and the thing that Ralph said was basically at the back of your mind. Dan Sheldon, our reporter from the Athletic at Southampton, basically asked Ralph in the press conference after we're going, did did at any point in that game did you go, oh God, it's happening again? And, Hassan would admit, you do have this thought at the back of your mind when it gets to a certain scoreline, oh, this could be happening. And again, I think this is one of those things when when you're a manager that uses the word philosophy, when you believe that there is a certain way of playing football and rather than develop a plan B when that certain way doesn't work, you just want to refine your plan A. There is something about Southampton that when it's not going to plan, it can... And... Typically, that's when Southampton throw away points from a winning position, right? That's when you go from being 2-0 up against Wolves to losing 3-2 because you still haven't figured out a way to play against two up front. Or that's how David Moyes' West Ham tends to get the better of you because they play, they have played two up front. And that's what normally happens, right? There are, while this Southampton team are good at certain things, they have weaknesses against direct opponents in a certain way. And, and there's, you can get at this Southampton in a way. And I think another one of these frailties is, unfortunately, when things get really, really bad, and I think what's become really apparent is one very quick way for the Southampton team to go from maybe being a Europa League quality team to being a, I'm not going to say relegation candidate, but a thoroughly mid-table team is your fullbacks. Because your fullbacks are so important to how you play football, both in attack and defense. And not only is it, issues you had at central midfield but the fact that you had another relative newbie in Kane Ramsey playing a right back and what happened was Manchester United who on average direct anywhere between 35 to sometimes 50% of their attacks down the left hand side had Luke Shaw and Marcus Rashford go oh we can just run at this guy let's just do that all day <laughs> so a lot of the goals in the um, two goals in the first half came from Luke Shaw assist down there uh, another goal came from Marcus Rashford on the right hand side doing the less the city thing of we're just going to drag you down to one channel and then switch it around the other channel which is a known way to score against a red bull team mm-hmm. um and southampton aren't a red bull team but southampton play like a red bull team because of Hassan's experience at leipzig as well so 
I think that's what happened. And I think that's what can happen in Southampton uh, and some of, some of the Red Bull teams. You know, there's no shame in having five goals plus put on you by Manchester United because Manchester United went, oh, look, Red Bull Leipzig. If we just do, yeah, cool. Manchester United beat Red Bull Leipzig five now at Manchester uh, Old Trafford. This this can happen, uh, and I think what happened, unfortunately, was uh, a perfect storm of of uh, hubris, unease, and naivete that allowed uh, a Manchester United team that really wanted to get some goals to get as many goals as they wanted. But does that naivete? I mean, I think we'll talk about the bigger issues, but I just some of the decisions to let players go on loan. It's just <laughs> baffling, you know. Like Valerie for his foot, you know, Valerie is, is not maybe the player we hoped he would become yet, but he does have a decent amount of Premier League experience under his belt, and it, it did seem, you know, him and letting Vokins go on loan. To your point, the fullbacks are so important for Saints, and we've essentially let the two understudies go without bringing in any replacements. It just seems very odd. So. Uh, I, at the end of last season, I was asked to write a season review for Southampton. Uh, and I argued that the most important player for Southampton in 2020-2021 is Jake Vokins. And I said, Jake Vokins is the clearest sign as to where Southampton's going to be or how Southampton is going to get to where they need to be next season. And I said, if Ralph loans out Jake Vokins, that's Ralph going, I want to get into the Europa League this season because I'm not going to wait to teach this boy what I need him to learn. Uh, whereas if Ralph keeps Hawkins in and goes, okay, I'll teach you the essentials, that was him going, I don't mind finishing 12th or you know, anywhere between 12th and 14th. And I, I, that was my true sort of, he's the bellwether test because I think, and forgive me uh, for what I'm about to say, but when Burnley were taking over uh, and the, the gentleman took over Burnley made a comment towards Southampton's academy, I think there was a lot of conversation about the gentleman from Burnley said Southampton's academy isn't what they used to be. And some very nice Southampton people went, that's absolute balderdash. And Southampton's academy is as good as it ever been. I don't think Southampton's academy is as good as people think, because if it was, I don't think Hatton would have spent 110 days comment or the playbook telling those players what he needs to do. I think there are a handful. I think there's basically a missing academy graduate class. I think there's a handful of players who are either in the cusp of making the first team or should have made the first team that hasn't arrived at Southampton and going, you can't play against the ball or you can't work out of possession the way it went. And when you look at you know Southampton have four key tenants and three of them are what you do when you don't have the ball. And I think... Hassanul has given opportunity and time to some of these players. He's spoken a lot about some of these players and what they need to do. He's been very, very vocal about Jake Vokins and how Vokins used to be a winger and needs to be braver in his one-on-ones. And I think I really thought if he kept Vokins in there and if he went, okay, Vokins, I'm going to teach you everything I need you to do in-house, then that was a that was a sign Ralph was going, it's not this season, it's next season. And I think what's happened is while they are nominally understudies, I don't think they're Ralph understudies, if that makes sense. And I think for a manager who can be so uh, meticulous and precise as Hassanul, if you're not going to learn or you're not going to develop in the way that he wants you to develop, you may as well not be here. And I think that's why those two gentlemen are on loan. And I think, again, that is why 
that's the concern when you have a manager that talks about philosophy because that's a very stubborn thing to do. <laughs> and unfortunately, that means you run the risk of losing 9-0 every once in a while. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it, it does seem strange. I, I, we've gone on like an interesting tangent here, I think, with the whole Jake Vokins thing. I mean, especially because, I mean, if, if we look at those two loan moves, I mean, I was baffled by this because someone at Sunderland sort of contacted me, one of the Sunderland podcasts contacted me like five days before it was announced that Vokins was going. And I just couldn't believe that he was telling me the truth I was like I'm not going to waste my time speaking to you until I know this is going to happen and in the end (laughs) he eventually convinced me he did know um and he was right but it 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 did seem really strange that we've sort of loaned those players out and this was I think about a week or a week and a half after um we'd said in an interview I can't remember who was being but one of the Southampton executives was being interviewed and they said that you know we're not going to loan out players that we think have got a place in you know the the squad so I think if you read between the lines that means Valerie and Vokins are not part of the Southampton future I mean I'm pulling a face I'm pulling a face I'm wincing a bit yeah you're not mm. sure you don't think that sounds like because I mean having watched Vokins and Valerie in Premier League games this season it's clear that both of them need to get some more practice at defending I think they both look quite exciting going forward um, obviously Valerie scored a great goal at Old Trafford it wasn't last season the season before okay. and um, last season Valerie was the player that Leicester City targeted in the first 9-0 yeah so mm. I mean it's it's, it's it's an interesting point, isn't it? But, I mean, we had Ryan Bertrand at left-back at Old Trafford, Carl. You did, and you didn't concede that many goals down that flank. Uh, notice the wince. Yeah. I don't think Kane Ramsey actually played bad. No, I don't think he played bad. He did, it wasn't like, his fault. He didn't play bad. He was just green. And I think that I think there are... There are there are a few terrible feelings you can get in sport. One of them is when you're playing against someone who is faster than you and that knows they're faster than you and then starts going, oh, I can just outrun you and we'll just repeatedly try and do that. And I think another terrible feeling you have in sport is when a team has identified you as a weak link and go, bring the ball here, we can get past them. And I think both of those things happened mm. at Old Trafford. Mm-hmm. It was Kane Ramsey knowing... It was Marcus Rashford knowing that he was faster than Kane Ramsey and Manchester United as a team being very left side dominant. And Luke Shaw is in a very, very good run of form at the moment. He's probably the second choice for player of the season at United after Bruno Fernandes. Uh, and in a United team that already directs all their play down the left, Shaw is in great amount of form. And you had Marcus Rashford who is faster than Kane Ramsey, is a very direct runner and basically had Ramsey running backwards. And it was it it didn't it didn't really matter who you were playing at right back that day. It was just two players in very good form going now. I don't think they need the same change out of Carl Walker Peters. Uh, neither do I. I think there is you know, there is a better Southampton right back in that squad who would not have been the target of so much. Yeah, there's a there's a so. Uh, Dan Sheldon had it, and he and Walker Peters explained how Southampton defend, and it's this very interesting thing of as a right, but despite being a right back, 
uh, Walker Peters is responsible for defending the attacker who goes towards Benarek. So he will tuck inside and then help double up on that one striker. And then Benarek will deal with one other player and then they, they all sort of shuffle over, which was I thought was a really interesting schematic. And then person on the left, number 10, will tuck inside again. And I thought, oh, that's... That's interesting. That even though you've got a back five, you more or less defend as a back three plus one every now and again. Uh, I would recommend that interview to anyone. Uh, and the way Walker Peters explained that, to, and you're going, but you only signed us in January, uh, and you've already sort of downloaded the Hassan Hall system, and you've had all this put into your brain. And I think that is as important as whatnot. I, uh, you know, I have had conversations with. Jan Valerie and I have had conversation with Jake Vokins and I still haven't quite got the sense that they acutely understand the uh, the demands of the Hasenhoek system because the demands of that's not a slight on those two gentlemen that's just more on the uh, the book reading and perceptiveness on Kyle Walker Peters what Hasenhoek wants from his players especially his wide players is difficult you're not playing like a typical fullback you're not behaving like a typical wide player and I think this is also why Stuart Armstrong probably can't just slot into the central midfield place now because Ari Romeo, there's another interview with him. You ask Romeo, what do you need to do as a number six? And he says, well, I can close my eyes now and say, I need to move this way and then move that way. I need to do this and I need to do that. I need to do this. And I suppose this is why when things go bad in Arsenal system, things can go really bad because you have to download such a large playbook in your head that you can't, I guess, I guess you can say you can short circuit because you're going, what, what am I supposed to do now? Oh God, do I follow Ralph's instructions or do I play football mm. so I don't get embarrassed anymore? I mean, D- Duncan Alexander, who we've had on this podcast before, I think described it beautifully that Southampton are like the Death Star, whereas, you know, we're quite good, quite effective, <laughs> but we have, you know, a flaw, which once you get at it, we just explode, which, yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because they... They do seem to be, I mean, I think we'll talk about that more generally, but they just seem to be lost, don't they, at the moment? They seem to be, like, just forgotten everything. It's I, a funny thing. Do you think in their heads the way, they're trying to flick back to, like, page 500, what do you do in the face of a potential 9-0? I can't remember what Ralph told me at this point. You know, what, what do we do? <laughs> Panic. Um, but it, it's, it's an interesting point, Carl, and I think, you know, some of the players that we've seen come on and start to do really well under Ralph are probably players that you would describe as very intelligent. So I think you look at Valerie and Vokins and you can see they're raw and they've got got talent. Whereas Carl Walker-Peters, I think probably when we first got him on loan, you're like, this guy's really small and is he strong? Is he going to win a header? I wouldn't say intelligent is the right word. I'd say fresh. Fresh. As in in a fresh slate. So one of the most telling things when Ralph likes to play is he'll describe his open-minded, right? That's his compliment for good. He goes, he's he's a very good player. He's very brave in his one-on-ones and he's open-minded, which is basically code for he does what I tell him to do. Yeah. Right? But is is there willing to learn as well as also actually being able to learn? Is it complicated? Because when you look at... I think it's both, right? I think... Now, you know, look at Ralph's track record and transfer market. He wants younger players. He wants guys that are under the age of 24 and he wants them to be mobile and he wants them to be able to play in two or three different positions. But I think one of the most thing, most important things about that is the age, right? He wants them under the age of 24. He wants them before their learnings have calcified, before they've got too much of uh, another club or what another coach has said. He wants them raw. Kyle Walker-Peters is one of the best players for Arsenal's system because Kyle Walker-Peters has barely played senior team football before Ralph got his hands on him, right? Mm. 
He's gone, oh, you've done a bit of academy football. You've done a bit on the 23 football. Sweet. I'm going to teach you everything. And Walker Peters, very, I wouldn't say desperate to play, but Walker Peters with a point to prove and to say, I want to be a Premier League football player, probably did everything Ralph said. And that's why he's so good in that system. Where Vokins has, up until the age of 15, he was a winger, and there's a little bit more on that, and there's a little bit more on that, and now he's got to a system where he's gone, well, I've, I know a bit of this, I know a bit of this, I know a bit of this, and I'm not only trying to have to learn your system, I'm also trying to have to unlearn two or three other systems. Mm-hmm. I think that is a big thing. And I think this is also why this is also why Southampton hasn't or a perfect fit because he's like, okay, I don't, I don't mind if you're not going to give me loads of money. If you just give me your academy, because that way I don't need to t- unlearn anything. I can just give all these young people the raw data they need, which is probably why he gave Jankovic the points there. It's that perfect storm, the impulse that led to a nine nil. Right. Um, I'm just going to throw in a uh, say six, one or seven, one would have been a fair score. And I think we could live with that. And I'm, Putting that on Mike Dean and Lee Mason, who I'm also saying that Southampton should have beaten uh, Aston Villa 3-1 at least, or perhaps 2-1 in that game, had it not been for them. However, I do not condone sending death threats to any of them or their family, which is totally stupid. And Carl, on your point as well um, about Jankovic, it's just like the abuse that he's had has just been utterly ridiculous. And this is where... Football fans are morons across the world and just need to just uh, stop being so pathetic and horrible. Um, um, Ridiculous stuff. And I hope that none none of those people involved are are true Southampton fans because it's embarrassing um, as well as appalling. Which means that we need to move on to the Newcastle game. And we were talking this one up. I think Ralph was saying that sometimes like the, the, the kind of reactive blow, the retaliation punch is the strongest. And Southampton were talking this up in a way that suggested they were going to come out and blow Newcastle United away, completely destroy them. And well, I mean, we all know what happened. It all went kind of Pete Tong again. Um, and I was slightly annoyed by this this maybe arrogant way of, you know, we've just been beaten 9-0. Like, yes, you can say we're going to have a reaction, but I think we probably talked things up in in a way which is now looking quite embarrassing when, when you look at the result. And the way that that first half went was a total shambles again. This was the this was the true Everton to the Leicester game, wasn't it? Oh, it's not I, that bad. No, but I think... Yeah, but I, I've... I've I still maintain the Everton defeat was worse than the 9-0. Yeah, so Southampton played worse in the Everton game than he did in the 9-0. The, the Newcastle game, while it wasn't as bad, and whilst, of course, you know, we scored two goals, there was there was almost so many calamitous things wrong with the way we approached the game. Almost like Newcastle were there. To, they were just going to roll over. And... I, for me, it's a more frustrating game than the Man United game. The Man United game is a freak. It happens. Great teams punish, you know, weakness, like you said, and they punish it unrelentingly and without mercy. Newcastle are not a great team, and Southampton made them look very good. What they do have is one of the best ones I've ever seen in, in is Saint Maximilian, and you know, Saints just they can't get they can't get near him, can they? <laughs> I think. I mean, if if this makes you feel any better, and 
I don't think it will. But I, I, I will say Newcastle are different from the Newcastle at the start of this season. So the victory they got over Everton, um, this new coach they have, Graham, his surname escapes me. So please forgive me, listeners. Um, but I I think... Carl, don't worry. Our listeners aren't that hot on Newcastle coaches. So Graham okay. is fine. Jones, so, so a regular name. So so Newcastle have, have, have got a new coach uh, called Graham Doe. I'll call him Graham Doe. Again, I'm really sorry. Your surname <laughs> escapes me completely right now. Uh, and... He, he seems to be brought in to, 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 to help with the more pernickety uh, tactical stuff because Steve Bruce seems to have come to the conclusion that he that's not his area of expertise. Uh, and, and Newcastle are, are better. They've got a, uh, a newer flavour to them. They've got this sort of lopsided, asymmetrical, uh, four, you know, 442 diamond. Um, Kyle Morrison got injured. And whatnot, but they they they're not the oh god Steve Bruce struggle ball that you may have seen at the start of the season, and that is going to be found out in in five or six games because this is maybe this is match two, and then in we'll eventually reach a play, point in time where Newcastle will play someone big and they'll get a result, and then everyone goes oh wait Newcastle aren't terrible anymore. So I think one you've caught Newcastle as they're on the, like a bit of an upward drift, uh, and two. Uh, yeah, that game was there for the. Game. I think the the really disappointing thing, and this was my sort of, I'm going to watch the Southampton game, and then I'm going to watch the Manchester United game today. Uh, it was the third goal, just before oh. half time, where you very much endeavoured to shoot yourself in the foot. Um, and I think that game, I think at, at two one, Minamino's you know, get his debut goal. Two uh, one, things are going okay. But when it gets to three one, I'm just going, oh, that's that's bad. And and it was one of those. Uh, uh, I've got a, a very good Russian um, football fan who supports Liverpool, and he describes a goal scored anywhere after the 40th minute as a goal for the dressing room. And he goes, those goals cost more because they changed your team talking, which means your manager can't give your proper teamwork talk. He's like, oh god, I've got five minutes to redo the entire thing. Uh, and he goes, always beware the goal for the dressing room. And I think that third goal. Um, from Miguel Almiron was very much a goal for the dressing room and Arsenal, meticulous, very precise, is going from going, okay, here's the plan and here's how we're going to get to 2-2 and here's how we're going to eventually beat them, is then going to have to change his team talk. And, I mean, credit to James Will Prowse, that was a fantastic free kick. I think that's his ninth or tenth direct free kick. I think it's ninth in the Premier League, is it? Yeah. And he's had some in the Cup as well. Ninth in the Premier League. This, this game, like, where do you want to begin on where it goes? Well, I mean, one of the things which maybe if you go back to the 9-0, the one area where we do have a deputy who is capable, and okay, he's not capable in all areas that Alex McCarthy is, but you think, what happened to Angus Gunn when we lost 9-0 to Leicester? He was taken out of the firing line, he was given a rest, he was given a break because it's so demoralising. Um, Alex McCarthy's sort of managed to get those mistakes out of him for the most part of this season. And then I think, you know, the facing, I mean, if we go back as well, just comparing the Leicester, that was what, 24 shots Leicester had and they scored nine. Manchester United had 14 shots and scored nine. So McCarthy's practically stopped nothing at all um, in, in that game. 
And his confidence is gone, and this was dreadful. And actually, the funny thing is, yeah, Fraser Forster, his biggest weakness on McCarthy is his distribution and his kicking. He wouldn't have made that mistake because he would have absolutely walloped it up the pitch. Um, so he wouldn't have had that, that goal for the dressing room. Um, so that's, that's one of the things. I think that goal is really the, the key turning point. But then, yes, that's a real pain. But then James Will-Prowse scores that free kick on the 47th minute, which means you then have pretty much the whole second half to get one goal against a team that first then goes down to 10 men and then goes down to nine men. And loses their best strike, the best player. Yeah. And has a pretty threadbare bench. I mean, mm-hmm. this is what was amazingly frustrating about it was there was a rare, com- well, not rare, but like a combination of Saints completely shooting themselves in the foot. Like every goal really was, you know, Saints were culpable in some way. Like Bednarek throwing himself at San Maximilian for the first. Um, yeah, like, what, I don't, San Maximilian had them on toast from the very beginning of the game. <laughs> Bednarek, who Ralph loves, sort of just seem, seems a bit naive, doesn't he? Like, in that sort of situation. Um, and, and it just, they, they couldn't get to grips with San Maximilian and they sort of didn't really know what they were doing. And it just fell to, it just fell to pieces again. For, for me, like by the time they were two nil down, they fell to pieces. <sighs> I'm, I'm, I'm lightly chuckling, but it's not funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm lightly chuckling because I was bit, I've been there and I've, I've been at St. James's park as you, as Southampton, I only said United there. I'm very sorry. I've been I've been at St James's Park when Southampton have played a Newcastle team that were there for the taking, and they just couldn't understand what they were playing against. Uh, and I think Sam Maximan and Miguel Amarong are are the two sort of players that Southampton struggle against because Southampton have Jan Bednarek, Jack Stevens, Jan Vestergaard. Uh, you've all you've got a collection of centre backs that are. Varying degrees of good in terms of running towards danger. But the moment they have to turn around and run towards their own goal, it's all, it's a massive, massive trouble. And uh, to Southampton's defense, this is a problem that a lot of teams in the league have. Manchester United don't have a center back where if they have to turn around, things are okay. That's that's one of the big problems of Manchester United right now. They've got, yeah, if, if Harry Maguire has to turn around, I get quite nervous. And I think, you know, Jan Begnarek gets a, send, gets a sending off against Manchester United because he had to turn around because Anthony Martial, very, very good dribbler. Uh, San Maximan, very, very good dribbler. And that's a sort of, that's one of the weaknesses of this Southampton team is none of your centre-backs can turn around and run towards their own go- goal. In theory, Salisu sorts this out. I don't know yet. I haven't seen enough of Salisu in the flesh yet to see. Uh, and, his, has. and his development... Or, or lack thereof is going to be one of the interesting stories for the rest of the season. I've got like a little list now that now it looks as if Manchester City are going to win the league and the bottom three are going to get relegated. I've got a list of things that are still interesting for the rest of the season. Uh, and one of the things on this list is... You, you, you don't think there's ha- another twist or a turn in this league, Carl? You think that's it? It's all I settled think, now? I think it may be done. I think it's now a top four race and then fun things like what position is John Stone's going to play for England? Can Curtis Jones make it to the Euros? Does Salisu exist? Yeah, does Salisu exist? And other fun wrinkles like that. 
But to, your, to your point well, about Southampton centre-backs, Bednarek is a funny beast, isn't he? Because, like, Saints fans, not they criticise Jack, Jack Stevens gets it doing it in the neck. Like, he gets it, like, double barrels every time. And I think undeserved. Bednarek just gets away with, like... Well, Tom, know, not only does Jack Stevens get it in the neck, now you've said that, the next time Jack Stevens makes a mistake, people will be targeting you on Twitter as well and saying, <laughs> or, or like, or they'll be sending me emails saying, I can't wait to hear Tom try and defend Jack Stevens in the next yeah. podcast. But he's not, but then, but Bednarek looks kind of, he plays every game on the raft, doesn't he? I think, you know, he starts, if, if he's fit, he starts. Him and James Will Prowse will always play. But he does seem kind of hapless at the moment. He, he just, he was, he looks a bit lost. I mean, to your point about, Taking players out of the firing line, yeah. If we had another sense about, there's an argument you could probably take Bednarek out and just give him a, a break because he looks kind of, you know, that second Newcastle guy, he was all over the place. I don't know. Am I being too harsh on him? No. Yes, I know. Uh, in that, I wouldn't say Bednarek is uh, good or bad. I'd say it's quite unfortunate his recent knack for on goals. Uh, I will say he, he's an impressive young centre back. Uh, with, uh, I'm going to try and find a nice way to say this. He's got a clear talent ceiling, right? Like I, I, you can look at Jan Banner and go, you will be this good and you might end up at a club in Champions League, but I don't think you're going to be a starting defender for a Champions League club, right? Like you're this good right now. You will be this good in a bit, and that's fine. And maybe if you're playing like supply with this skill, you might play for a team this good. And I think I think that's Benerick. Uh, and I think I think the big thing about Benerick is he's you know what I, he's what I call a meat and potatoes centre back, right? If you keep it in front of him, and the loads of cr- if you keep it in front of him, and he's running towards danger and making fouls, and he's got loads of crosses to head away, no worries. If you've got someone like Anthony Marshall, like Alan San Maxima, like Miguel Almiron, like Marcus Rashford, if you've got someone who's like, I'm going to run towards you with the ball quickly, react. I think that's where things get undone. And I think what is particularly difficult about being a centre-back like that is that there are those sorts of players tend to play for very expensive clubs. Uh, And those very expensive clubs tend to have managers that have the scouting departments to go you're not very good at this so we're going to find loads of ways to pull away all of your support so you can't you don't have Yannick Vestergaard to protect you you don't have James Ward-Prowse to protect you you don't have Bertrand to protect you we're going to find a way to exploit you and this weakness in a very specific way um it's my notion that defending hasn't got any better or worse in the last 15 years it's just that we've made we've given defenders so much to do that when they do get embarrassed, they get really embarrassed. And I think that's what happened with Benerick. When Benerick makes a mistake, it's an embarrassing mistake rather than a horrendous mistake. Mm. It's the, uh, it's a, Oh, Benerick rather than a Benerick. Where were you? You, sh- you shouldn't, you weren't where you're standing, which I think that's the difference between him and possibly Jack Stevens. Cause there was definitely a point in time in Jack Stevens career where he was not standing where he should have been standing. And now he's a lot better. Uh, and I certainly didn't see him being that much better throughout the 2019-20 season. I think he was one of the nice sort of surprises of last season. Um, and the fact that he wasn't a starting option at the start of the season also speaks to the very other nice problem. Nice problem? The very nice surprise that has been Yannick Vestergaard's form. Uh, um, 
So I think that's what's been going on. I think Southampton just have some very nice, well-meaning centre-backs who Ralph has described Benerick as a firefighter before. Yeah. And yeah, look at a firefighter. They put out fires. Most fi- But you only really need a firefighter when the fires already happened rather than when there's smoke. Uh, and in a proper Hassan Hall team, the smoke doesn't really develop. So Benerick is like, okay, cool. I'll just like stand here and wait until everything completely goes to pot. But because of accidents and injuries and whatnot, things are going to pot really quickly all the time. And he just looks a bit overwhelmed. Okay. There we so, go, Jan. Tom, does that answer your question on Jan? Should we, should we focus on something positive? Well, hang on, before we get onto something positive, okay, I just want to dwell <laughs> on the negativity a little bit more. And go it's, it's about those plan Bs. Because, yeah, we've not had a plan B to stop the kind of the constant being beaten up. But also, why are we not able to break down a team and score enough goals? I know there were things that happened, like Danny Ings hits the post, Ings is off form, Adams is off form. Sometimes there's just days where you just can't get that ball into the onion sack, as it were. And was this just a case of like bit of misfortune, bit of lack of clinical stuff, or is there a deeper issue? Because it's not the first time, and it probably won't be the last time, that we struggle to break down a team that we think we should and where we've got the upper hand in a game. Nice is the fun thing, because previously your plan B would be Shane Long, right? Yeah. It would be Shane Long, goof it up to him, he's going to get the flick on, and then Redmond or Gineppo or whatnot would run onto it. Shane Long's now gone on loan to, to Bournemouth, so that nominal plan B is gone. And I think, again, this is the thing of having a manager like Ralph who talks about philosophy. He's much rather going to try and perfect that plan A than come up with a plan B. Southampton aren't going to have a plan B because Ralph lives and breathes and dies by that plan A. Um, why that plan A isn't happening right now, uh, please forgive me. I'm about to compare Southampton to Liverpool. <laughs> But I think it's it's a bit similar to the problem Liverpool are having. In this COVID season, where there are so many games thick and fast, when you have less time on the training pitch, where not only are your players physically fatigued, but there's also just mental fatigue. Uh, I'm tired trying to watch every single game, let alone, I don't know how players are, are tired trying to play in every single game. But I think there are certain players, there are certain players, uh, the more explosive players, that are just off by 10 to 15% right now you know Danny Ings was a was a middle was a middle mid-table ranking deity and and a a real penalty box poacher and striker and able to do a bit of everything and he's just five percent off it and last season that five percent helped him outperform his xg and helped him score goals like the one he did against Tottenham uh, and score goals where you're going how on earth have you put it in that way and the bounce isn't quite going for him. And you know, you you you'll get these moments where Danny Ings is gonna look mortal. Um and you're gonna get those run of these bits where where Nathan Redmond makes the wrong passing decision. And that can be very frustrating where you're like, Oh god, three weeks ago you were able to make that pass. Um and I think it's not terminal. And I don't think it's it's going to be a disaster. I think what's really amazing is that we're just over halfway through the Premier League season. And I think this is the first time in since the days of Claude Puel that Southampton aren't being mentioned towards the R word at all. Uh, I've just looked at 538 and the chances of you being relegated are less than 1%. Uh, 
So that's good, right? Let's see Tough if we way. can break that model. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. yeah. So that's, so, so that's good. good. And I think I had Southampton finishing. So la- the, before the start of last season, I had Southampton finishing in 12th. And I think you finished 14th, 13th last season. Um, yeah, 11th. Huh. I can't yeah. even remember this anymore. I don't remember last season. Anyway. So you, you can tell me, listeners. Uh, and I think this season I had Southampton finishing 9th-ish. Uh, so I've been finishing not in the Europa League, but sort of one of the best teams towards the Europa League. And I think that's that's more or less your level. I think if everyone's there and everyone's fit, so I think they're probably the ninth best side in England. The problem is a couple of people aren't there. Not everyone's fit. So I think, again, you'll probably be in this 11th to 14th place zone. And so that's it, fine. It was 11th that we finished last season. So. Ah, lovely. But I mean, I think- that, that sort of wouldn't feel right because I feel like we've improved from last season. Yes, I think that's I think that's the feeling. And uh, I, I, I was, think that's why these five losses in a row in the Premier League are so hard to take as well, because it, it just doesn't. At no point, Tom, have we sat down and said, "Right, let's look at the fixture list. How many points are we going to get from those next five games?" And gone zero. Well, you don't, because you're, you're you're an actual optimist as a football fan, maybe as a Samson fan, but I think Southampton so fans are not naturally optimistic. Not yeah. not in my experience. <laughs> I think to your point, you know, Danny Ings has now scored one goal, I think, in 10 games. And I think, you know, Shea Adams hasn't scored since December. Redmond has just given up looking like he's trying to even score and hasn't scored one goal this season. Theo is injured for an indeterminate amount of time. Um, as you say, Shane Long has gone on loan. I think as well, to your point about Ings, last season Ings almost didn't seem to think did he? I mean, he, he clearly was. He just scored. He, he just scored. He's doing it so quickly in his head. And I thought the Newcastle game was fascinating because you saw like that chance in the first half where the ball breaks to that end. And He takes too he, many touches, doesn't he? He's thinking. He's yeah. taking, you know, before, he just hit early, um, like Steve Ball or someone used to. But now he's thinking. And I think that they're almost, they're all thinking. Like, Shea Adams seems to be mindful that he's not scored. Been coming up to two months, and now, it's really important when you say they're all thinking. It's not just Southampton; it's everyone, right? Right. I don't think there there are there's the only player this weekend I saw not have the not where like the cogs are visibly whirring in their head as they're taking a chance was Phil Foden, and that was for the final chance for Manchester City. Everyone is now going. What am I supposed to be doing? What day is it? What's happening? I think that's that's just a knock, that's a knock-on effect of lockdown. That's a knock-on effect of it nearly being a year of playing football behind closed doors. And I think that's one of the big things about having you know no fans is that fa- people were just you'd normally have someone yelling at you going oi effing switch on, and it's just not there anymore. Mm. And everyone's just a bit sedated. Um, and unfortunately, I think yeah, this probably affects the explosive players more than non-explosive players. And it probably affects the players at the smaller clubs because there's just the drop off between being switched on and being switched off is just that much more noticeable. Tom, I'm going to allow you to be positive now. <laughs> uh, so, Minami- I mean, Minamino. Minamino. I mean, Min- is it Minamino or Minamino? I'm calling him Minamino. Minamino. He looks a hell of a player, doesn't he? I mean, the contrast between. I mean, I. Redmond is Redmond is a whole like there's probably like a book to be written on the enigma that is like Nathan Redmond but like what's fascinating is Minamino comes in 
and just looks so effective so quickly after what you can only have had like one or two training sessions with him but it just looks deadly and direct and I thought he kind of like you wonder if a player like that is almost like the death knell for like a Nathan Redmond not because he necessarily keeps him out of the team but just because he just makes him look so much less effective and it was a great goal like credit where credit's due that was a brilliant goal and the comeback was on at that point John it was. And, and that was. finish reminded me of Gabbiadini's first goal against West Ham. You know, that yeah. moment where we thought we'd signed a god from Italy. Because we couldn't score at home, do we, for like five games in a row. Yeah. And and just three minutes. Wonderful. Um, also, another positive, James Ward-Prowse is a free kick deity, if we are going to talk about gods here. That free kick, I, is that his best one yet? I think so. I, what was weird about it, right, is he kicks it and then he pushes, like, the X button and the ball goes faster <laughs> in midair. It's not going that fast. And he obviously then remembers to push X and it goes even faster as it arcs over the wall. <laughs> is that your tip for scoring in FIFA? That, in the old days. You used to yeah. get on FIFA. They've, they've wised up. But it, I think it was his best one. Yeah, I, I do. I do. I think it was... Because it was ridiculously far out. I... I think it's. I think I'm making a very educated guess that clubs must now be telling their players do not foul Southampton players in these areas outside the penalty area because James Ward-Prowse will score. Uh, one of my big worries before Manchester United played Southampton was the fact that James Ward-Prowse has scored two free kicks against David De Gea, and you could see before on the free kicks De Gea was going. He was animated and shouting towards his defence as to how he wanted that wall and how he wanted his set up. And that shot from Ward Prowse, De Gea had to sort of punch over the bar. And I think that's another great thing about Ward Prowse is he's going to get on target. And that's that's really scary. A lot of free kick takers are, you know, you've got free kick takers that use a knuckleball or try different techniques or try and side foot and whatnot. Whereas Ward Prowse, you know, not only is he going to take a free kick but he's going to get on target and that's that's really concerning I, I think the way he describes it is just it sort of speaks volumes it's like if I hit it how I want to hit it then it doesn't matter what the keeper's done with the wall where he's positioned himself there is no way he can get it yeah. and I, I think that goal that free kick against Newcastle was perfect because you can't do anything to stop that he has got to free kick taking of a level that before the Shrewsbury Town one, I went, that's a goal. Because I went, he, all he has to do is get on target. Because mild, um, this is going to, unfortunately, if there are any Shrewsbury listeners, I'm sorry, this is going to sound mean. I don't think Shrewsbury is ever going to have a goalkeeper that can keep out a James Ward-Prowse free kick. So he's got to a point now where it's just, you know, if you're a goalkeeper in the bottom half and he gets on target, you're in trouble. If you're a top half goalkeeper, I'm going to expect you to have to make an effort to save this but I'm not expecting it to not go on target. I think what's really interesting now is Ward-Prowse went from taking maybe 20 or 30 free kicks after training sessions to taking about six because he is now approaching the stage where I, he doesn't want to waste time. He wants to be able to do it one and done, which is a, a real sort of sharpshooter. Um, not only is he good just in general around the penalty area, but he also has a special sort of in that left half space where... Again, if I was an opposition scouting coach and I was up against Southampton, I'm going, here's how you get past your right back. Here's how you get past Romeo. 
And here's how you get past Burnley Rink. I'm going, this in this area right now, you just don't touch anyone because Will Prowse will score. The internationally <laughs> recognised James Will Prowse saying. Yes, this is this is this is, is, is Ward Prowse country. Don't do not mess around in it. But like this is what drives me mad again. I well, I'll go back to Redmond, and I do get mad about Redmond because I get mad about him because I really think he's he can have, he's got such talent when he when he does it. He's got such talent, but like part of the problem is Redmond has stopped trying to beat his man on the left hand side, which means we're going to get fewer James Ward Prowse free pick free kicks because either. You know, James Will Prowse, either Redmond beats his man, happy days, doesn't beat his man, okay, or he gets fouled. Two of those three are good outcomes. But, like, if he's not trying to beat his man, we're deficient in that sense. I think if Nathan Redmond had met Ralph Hassel five years earlier, things would be very different. Mm. I think when you look at Redmond's Southampton career and you look at the managers he had uh, and the very contrasting styles and the very, I think... Redmond had two managers at Southampton that when Redmond arrived, the manager was like, okay, you're that sort of player. Just keep doing your thing and don't worry about it. And I think at a time when Southampton didn't really have much creativity and didn't have many ball carriers, Redmond had to take it upon himself and had to do everything. And not only was he responsible for trying to get goals and assists, but he also very often had to carry the ball 30, maybe 40 yards up the pitch for any sort of attack. And you could see it in parts last season where he get the ball and he carry it 30, 40 yards and you're going, passable now, passable now, passable, he's not my passable and he's taking a shot and you're going, why did you take the shot? If you just passed it, it would have been a three on two, X, Y, Z. And I feel as if, if you spoken to Redmond about why did you not pass it, Redmond would have probably told you, yeah, but a season ago, that person wouldn't have taken the shot or that person wasn't there. And I think a lot of the problem, a lot of the teething problems Redmond had on the Hassan was one understanding there were things he had to unlearn and that there were improvements he had to make in his game and two understanding he had to trust his teammates right he had to he had to start releasing the ball earlier he had to stop he had to stop playing hero ball uh, and those things were going on and I think what's happened now again I think the operative word you use when you describe Mino Mino is direct right Redmond is can be a direct dribbler but he's also got some trickery to him he, he likes a little sort of deceptive dribble as well as a direct one. And I think that the necessity of, of being a cute dribble has gone away. And what you just basically want is like, just run in a straight line, mate. I just want you yeah. to run in a straight line. Hit the byline. You know, yeah. just try and do it. Get some chalk on your boots. Um, and that's that can be difficult to do in a sort of intensive season like this and in a time when your confidence isn't great. Uh, and I'm sure it will come again. Um, so in Redmond's first season on the Hassan Hill, he got all his, he got six goals and four assists yeah. after December. And I think he had another mini miniature spurt in the second half of the last season as well. He tends to be someone who comes hot yeah. in the second half of seasons, at least from my sort of experience of looking at him on the Hassan Hill, is he, he tends to have a quiet heart first half of the season and then he comes alive in the second half. Um, so have faith in Nathan Redmond. Yeah. I, I, the thing is, like, you get annoyed about it because you know he's really good. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, you wouldn't be annoyed if, if he was hopeless, you know would you? Good. And he was just trying. Yeah. You know he's really good. Right. So, um, Carl, we had a question from Professor Simon Kemp. Uh, if you could give us three reasons why we should be optimistic. <laughs> and if you can't, then please give us one. And then if you can't see any reasons why Southampton should be optimistic, then I think he thinks we should just all give up. I th- uh, so first things first, you're not going to get relegated. So that's, that's one. 
That's one. In less than one percent chance you get relegated is number one. I think number two, there there are so many. There's at least three players in Southampton that I just haven't seen enough of, and I'm really excited. Like Diallo, this Diallo guy looks interesting. I want to see more. Yeah, yeah. I I keep every in the, in the times when I can't watch a Southampton game and I see Ibrahim is in the starting lineup. I'm texting my Southampton friends going, "How did he play? What, what is he? What's he doing? What's he up to?" Um, so I, I want to see more of him. I want to see some of Salisu. That's really interesting to me, right? Um, uh, a coach, not no, a someone at a football club in the Premier League. When the deal was made, went ah, wow, <coughs> went sort of expressed positive thoughts on Salisu, fifteen million, very interesting. He could cost three times that much if he has a very good season. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Salisu is going to be 45 million come the end of the season, unless he has an astonishing second half of the season. But um, he is very, he, he has the raw materials there to be a 40 to 50 million centre back. And I think he is under a coach who will give him the time and whatnot to develop. Um, please, I'm going to carry out this. I'm going to carry out this a little bit in that I went quite hard. I went to bat quite hard for Kevin Danzo last season and I got that one a bit wrong. But I think Salisu is, is going to end up a bit better than Kevin Danzo. No disrespect to Kevin Danzo, who's doing quite well in Bundesliga 2. Uh, so those are my two. Those are two reasons to be optimistic. And I think the third one is just James Ward-Prowse is going to the Euros, right? Like your captain is going to go to the Euros and, and has a good chance of being a starting option for England. Going to score Do- the. What's what's going to happen though, isn't it? Like we can already see this. James Will Prowse is going to be on the pitch. It's going to be the semi-final. We get a free kick in the 80th minute or something, which could a either kind of get us equal or you know put us in the lead. And Eric Dyer's going to stand Dyer. up and <laughs> hoof it <laughs> over the bar. Glad you said Eric Dyer because I thought you were going to go Kieran Trippier, but then I was like, it's good because that's what we'll have a Dyer who has never scored a free kick. Not in the Premier League in twelve attempts. Yeah. Um, So uh, yeah, I think I think those are some reasons to be. You've got you've got two. At the very least, you've got two players who are making very strong claims to be in the plane, if not already on the plane. Uh, You've got two more players to Wembley. To the plane to Wembley, you've got two more players who I think are genuine unknowns Mm. and encouraging unknowns in that. In that sort of sense, you've got a less than one percent chance of being relegated. And honestly, I I, spoke, I, I tweeted this to, to Alex Stewart um, in regards to Brandon Williams. So we were, we were talking. I think it was a conversation back and forth about whether or not Brandon Williams would be better served staying at United or whether going off to Southampton. And I said at this point, I would genuinely send next to any young player for six months to Ralph Hasenhall because Ralph Hasenhall is going to go right. Here's how the basics of football are done. Uh, I think there is such a good foundation, foundational knowledge on the basic education of football that Ralph Hassan can give you. That, that's been quite fun. I think Dan Ndulu is a lot of fun. Uh, he was, uh, he, he was just like one of the nicest people I met when I was down at Southampton. Uh, and sort of, he, he's, he's got like a really interesting body shape in that I'm a pretty big gentleman. Uh, John, you've met me a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, so I don't often stand next to a football player or person and go, oh, well, you're bigger than me. Um, but there have been two or three times where I was talking to Dan and Doodle, like stood next to Dan and Doodle, where I'm going, I feel like your younger brother. <laughs> um, so 
like he's he's a big guy, uh, but I wouldn't. The interesting thing about him, he's he's not really a target man. He he's got a very similar. Well, from what I understand, um, he's thought of in the same way that people think of Romelu Lukaku, in that he's a big gentleman, two-footed, has surprisingly good uh, creative play, has a very good football IQ. Uh, I think. I think the world of him really. He's, he's just like, and then not. While I may look like his younger brother, I look at Dan and Dulu, I'm like, ah, you're nice. I want to enjoy watching you play football for the next 10 years. Um, so I think those, those are my reasons to be optimistic. I think you've got a fantastic manager. You've got some very interesting young players there. And you've got two players that are probably going to play for England in the group stage of the Euros. So it's going to be fine. There so that will be like anywhere between 13th and 9th this season come the end of it. Nice. I'll take that. You take that. Well, we've been recording for one hour and 12 minutes now and it would feel mean to keep you guys both for any any length of time longer than that. But Tom and Carl, I always want to give you the opportunity to say something before we go. I mean, we haven't even talked about how we're going to knock Wolves out of the, uh, the FA Cup this week and then Please go on and win the trophy and then forget about the two nine nils because we'll be looking at our reflection in the silverware. Um yeah, how I, how I could be optimistic at any point. But, you know, we, you've talked us around there, Carl. I think you've maybe saved some of us from the, the brink. And um, if I was allowed to play like music on this podcast, which unfortunately Spotify and iTunes don't allow, I think I'd be playing Reasons to be Cheerful, part three. I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be a, a good end to the season. And also, in this may sound weird, not finishing in the Europa League might help a squad that is just a little bit thin right now. I think I think one thing about this Southampton was you were a little bit ahead of schedule and you might have been incurring some of the penalties of being ahead of schedule because you're like, oh yeah, we're going to play on the deck. We don't need crosses anymore. Uh-oh. Shane Long might not be needed anymore. Whereas now if you just keep bobbling on at a nice little rate, you don't need to get gassed come the end of the season. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Tom, are you feeling reassured? Yeah, but I, I, I mean, look, it's a wobble, but you've still got Danny Ings, you've still got James Ward, you've still got all the players, still got Ralph. Yeah, like there's, it's exactly the same group of players. They're not become bad players. They're just having a bad run. Little Ralph will pick them up. There you go. All good. Well, there we go, listeners. Um, I hope you've enjoyed that um, soul searching and hopefully some soul soothing. Uh, I realise that there's probably a lot of topics that you want us to get onto, which we just haven't even had the time to explore. So email us, saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com, and Tom and I will try and pick up on some of those topics. I think there might be some around ownership and how on earth we're getting VAR so wrong and all sorts of other things. But, you know, send them my way, saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com. Carl, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for coming back. I hope one day we can have you back on the podcast and we can be sat here smiling at you and you have to wince at the start of the <laughs> podcast because you know what's what's coming, but it's probably not happening this season, is it? And uh, Tom, <laughs> always a pleasure, never a chore. Thank you very much. Thank John. you very much, oh. gents. We've got the uh, St. Mary's Faithful to take us, take us out. <laughs>